The title of the message is Obstacles to Endure. How do you handle it when things don't go the way you want them to go? That's the question. How do we handle things when they don't go the way we want them to go? Today we're going to see that a believer often faces major obstacles in their ministry life. These roadblocks can rob us of our joy and sidetrack us from ministry if we're not careful. But in the end, if we respond appropriately to these complications, roadblocks, obstacles, God will use them in His way to bring even more glory to Himself. Today we're going to examine three obstacles that the followers of Jesus will encounter. In our passage, we will also observe how the faithful believer must respond to these obstacles. Once more, we can't avoid difficulties in this world. Instead, we must learn to respond appropriately to them as they come into our path. The three obstacles the missionaries endured during the first part of the second missionary journey are broken relationships, unrealistic expectations, and postponed goals. (laughs) Ever face any of those before? My prayer is when we face these same obstacles in our life, we will all respond in the same way as the missionaries did. As we will see today, disciples are made when disciple-makers don't allow obstacles to to derail them from the primary purpose in life. I'll say it again. Disciples are made when disciple-makers don't allow obstacles to derail them from their primary purpose in life. So let's start with the first obstacle, broken relationships. Remember, we come off of the Jerusalem Council, and they have decided that the Gentiles are no longer under the Mosaic Law and that they must love their neighbor, obviously, and therefore consider the Jew. But at the same time, the primary goal is to exalt Jesus Christ and know that He is Lord and has set us free from the law and set us free to obey the Lord with grace from the Holy Spirit that works within us. But we come to verse 36 of Acts chapter 15, and we see a broken relationship. We talked about this briefly last time, but I want to deal with it a little better. So look with me again at verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As we travail our paths on this planet, some of the biggest heartaches we face are broken relationships. Would you not all agree? 
Friends come into our lives and bonds are made. These bonds often feel like unbreakable unions. We pour our hearts into one another. We bear each other's burdens. We walk through trials together. We share each other's pains and tears. And then often, like a blindside, something comes up that breaks the relationship or makes the relationship unable to continue at its same level. Maybe it's a job change that moves a person away. Or maybe there's a misunderstanding that causes a tension in the relationship. Or maybe it's a sin that makes it very difficult to continue. In any case, the pain of the broken relationship or damaged relationship can be one of the most debilitating obstacles in a person's walk with the Lord. We can be overwhelmed by the hurt and turn inward. We can become self-focused, so self-focused that we can get derailed from the ministry. Any of you experienced something like that before? As I look out in the room, I see almost all of you. I know that you have gone through these things. I've seen you walk through them. I've walked through it with many of you. After all, we think, who wants to be hurt again? We can begin to rationalize in our mind. Why minister to people and invest in others? They will just turn around and hurt us too one day. You ever thought that? This thinking is from the enemy. He wants nothing more than to sideline us from loving people. And he can use broken relationships to attempt this wicked goal of derailing Christians. But we can't respond this way to the obstacle. We must respond as these missionaries did in Acts 15. We did, they did not let the pain of the disagreement derail them from their main purpose in life. Oh, get this, beloved. Notice their purpose was revealed even before the disagreement in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul and Barnabas knew the, that ministry did not mean just making converts. They knew converts needed discipleship. They knew that the enemy was prowling around looking for professing believers to destroy. So they sought to go and encourage the believers who had been introduced to Jesus. They were not into only making professing believers. They were about making converts that walked with Jesus. The purpose was clear. Encourage the believers in their walk with Christ. Make disciples, not just converts. But this plan faced an obstacle, a disagreement between the missionaries. Barnabas, the encourager, wanted to take John Mark with them, the same John Mark that had abandoned them in Acts 13.13. 13. Barnabas was John Mark's cousin. Maybe there was a desire to give his cousin a second chance. Either way, Barnabas was true to his namesake. He was an encourager. He knew Mark needed a second chance. John Mark had returned to Jerusalem and deserted the missionaries previously, but he had grown spiritually, and Barnabas wanted to take him with them on the second missionary journey. But Paul would have none of this. 
Paul saw John Mark as not worthy of trust yet. He did not want to take this previous deserter with them. They needed stability is probably what Mark thought. They needed someone they could trust who would endure all the circumstances. Now, if you think about this, folks, if you think about both sides, can't you see both sides of the argument? It's very clear. This disagreement, however, led to what? A break. A break in relationship. Now, the scriptures do not elaborate on the heart condition of the two main leaders. I would assume it was not a bitterness issue. Because if they would have, I think the church would have required them to reconcile before they went on the mission trip. This must have been just a strong disagreement that led to the decision to go separate ways. Now, if we think about this, it must have been a pretty big obstacle for both men to overcome. They loved each other. Do you understand Barnabas and Paul were together a lot? Barnabas had stood for Paul in Jerusalem when everyone was afraid of him back in Acts 9.27. Barnabas had said, hey, come on, you got to see this guy. When everybody else said, no, I'm not getting anywhere near Paul. That's the guy that killed Christians. Barnabas then had gone and gotten Paul to teach at the church in Antioch. That's a very humble thing. He went and traveled to get him just to bring him back to Antioch. Hey, teach these people. There was respect both ways. Barnabas was not only an encourager to others, but he obviously would have encouraged Paul along the way. They had traveled to southern Galatia together on that first missionary trip, and they had seen everything together and experienced everything together. They were probably very good friends, if not best friends. They had been through a lot together, but now they're separating. And it must have felt like a broken relationship. Again, I don't think it was a sinful broken relationship, but it was a difference of opinion that led to not being together in ministry. Now, when disagreements like this arise between believers, one of two things can happen. This is a generalization, but you'll get the gist. First, bitterness and resentment can set in and derail the believer's focus. You can have a disagreement and separate and you say, oh, I'm miserable, get all into yourself, and before you know it, you're not doing anything for the kingdom. That's one. The second is, the two can get their eyes on Jesus and press on in service of others. That's what they did. These two men saw that there was a bigger purpose than their relationship with each other. Oh, Get this, beloved. It is bigger than any two relationships that we have. There's a bigger purpose out there. Beloved, we are not kept on this planet by the Lord to always have flawless relationships that work in perfect harmony. That's not why we're here. We are kept here to make disciples of Jesus. This is exactly what the missionaries did. They kept their focus on the main thing. And this resolve actually led to more opportunities for disciple-making and mentoring. Look at verse 39. 
And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Barnabas took John Mark. This would have been more training for who? Mark. And Paul chose Silas, a Jewish Roman citizen. That's very important. Acts 16, 37. You'll see it's huge that they are Roman citizens, Silas and Paul. Whereas it doesn't appear that Barnabas was a Roman citizen. Who was previously, Silas was previously a leader in the church in Jerusalem and a prophet. As Acts 15, 32 states, he was a prophet. As we will also see, Paul picks up a young disciple named Timothy along the way today. We see here that broken relationships or the separation turned out to be more opportunities to mentor others. So they kept their eyes on discipleship making as the main goal. Notice they went on and they kept on that point. Their calling was a minister, to minister to the brethren that they were in contact with. Notice in Acts 15, 41. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches. What do we have here? Two guys that got in a disagreement. They separated. And instead of selfward implosion and giving up and feeling like a total loser, they did what? They kept going. They kept serving. And what happened? Churches were strengthened. People grew in the faith. That's what it's about. Notice also the two areas that were previously covered on the first missionary journey were broken up so that both groups could cover the territory. And this led Paul and his team to be able to expand further west. Notice this, folks. This is really interesting. This picture is a map of the area they went on their first missionary journey. If you remember, they left from Antioch, came down to the Cyprus, then turned and crossed over. This is where John Mark left, by the way, in this area. And they went up north, remember? And they came down here, all the way down to Derby, and then back, traced their steps. That was the first missionary journey, right? But notice, because of the separation that starts the second journey, instead of them both having to go back and trace their steps around, Paul goes north to Troas and ends up back up in Lystra and Derby, and Barnabas goes south. So the area is split, okay? And so what happens? Well, Paul then, with Silas, ends up going north and further over to the west to cover more territory, whereas Barnabas was down here in the Cyprus area. It helped to expand the ministry, so God takes a division and uses it for His glory. Shows more people the gospel. How do we have this kind of response? How do we think this way when there's a disagreement and a break? How do we have this kind of focus? Well, here's what we have to do. We have to stop thinking so much about ourselves. We've got to stop thinking that this world is about me. It's about seeing the gospel go to as many people as possible. And that's really all that matters. 
What we see here is the separation of Paul and Barnabas led to others having the opportunity to know and grow in the gospel. The church was still being built. We must understand even when there is a break in fellowship amongst believers, God's plan is still accomplished. It doesn't mean there, there isn't pain. I understand and I'm not saying and I'm not undermining pain. I'm not saying just grin and bear it. I understand there's hurt. I get that. But I do think we need to be careful of being consumed by our pain and getting our eyes off of what we're really all about. It just means God's plan for building His church is not ultimately contingent upon how well we get along. Praise God! It would be good for us to see this and realize there are bigger things at stake than our own personal feelings. Mark that. If someone doesn't agree with us, for lack of a better terms, we need to get over it and serve someone. Serve somebody else. So how do we deal with obstacles of broken relationships or damaged fellowship? Put simple, we love someone else God brings into our life. Serve someone else. Make another disciple. Eternity's at stake. People's souls matter. God's glory is a priority. These are the things we must think on and counsel our soul with. This is what the missionaries did. This is what they were thinking. How do I know? Read the epistles. Read Paul's epistle to Philippians. You'll see it. It's very clear. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Now this doesn't mean that we're free to harbor bitterness when somebody stabs us in the back. Or disagrees with us. If someone comes to us and says, please forgive me, we should what? Forgive them. I do not believe Paul and Barnabas struggled with bitterness when they left. In fact, as history shows, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark will all appear to have worked together later. Barnabas is mentioned as a co-worker of Paul to the church in 1 Corinthians 9.6. This means Barnabas made it further west at some point also because the Corinthians must have known Barnabas too. It's very interesting. If the Corinthians knew him, then possibly Barnabas and Paul had met and ministered to them together for a period. John Mark is an author of the gospel according to Mark, which was written later under the tutelage of the apostle Peter. And Paul mentions John Mark later in his ministry in 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul says from his prison cell facing his own execution, look, listen to what he says in 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. He wasn't useful before, but he is now. The key to this obstacle is not letting the disagreement sidetrack us from ministry. Get this, this is so important. God could renew all of our fellowship later. And by the way, if we're in Christ, it's a guarantee. It might not happen here, but one day we're all going to be in heaven and we are going to be in perfect fellowship together. Praise the Lamb. 
God's glory is at stake, people. There are souls that are dying and going to hell. If someone doesn't agree with you, that's okay. Don't get sidetracked from the main thing. Glorify God through making disciples. Did I get the point? Clear, right? Let's move on. Unrealistic expectations. None of us struggle with this one, do we? In Acts 1, 5, or Acts 16, 1, rather, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and a, a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but was a, what, his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Lyconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. What we see here is Paul and Silas move on into the area of southern Galatia. It was here that Paul had previously been persecuted and left for dead. But when the missionaries returned and they saw that the Lord had maintained the church. In fact, the Lord had a faithful servant that caught the eye of the Apostle Paul, Timothy. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. Timothy's father was a Greek, therefore a Gentile. But most of all, Timothy stood out among the believers in Derby and Lystra. Everyone spoke well of him. So Paul wanted Timothy to go with him and Silas. Now this is when the unrealistic expectations come into play. Paul was a champion of not putting people under the Mosaic law that were New Covenant believers. I mean, he had just said that in Acts 15, right? However, Timothy wasn't circumcised. Don't ask me how the conversation came up, but it did. The Jews in the area knew Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Gentile father. This meant in their understanding of the law that Timothy had to be circumcised. Now, Paul had just made a huge deal and was even delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem to the believers. He was telling them the same thing, right? But there were some unreasonable expectations by the unbelieving Jews in that area. And Timothy, uncircumcised, could have a problem. Not because he wasn't right with God, but because Jews, the Jews in the area, could have been kept from listening to him because of their legalistic tendencies. So for the sake of the unbelievers, a desire to help them to listen to the gospel, a hope to avoid a stumbling block for the Jews, Paul circumcised Timothy. Now, beloved, I don't know about you, but this is an act of love. A great act of love. I don't believe Timothy was bound by the law to be circumcised. 
He wasn't required to. I believe this was a unreasonable expectation. And y'all don't need to, all of y'all know what circumcision is, correct? Yet Timothy and Paul both endured and submitted to an unreasonable expectation for the glory of God and the good of those that were listening. The obstacle was overcome with love. Love. Sacrificial commitment to the unbelievers in order to help them hear the gospel. And notice, they were able to continue a ministry in the area and were able to edify the believers there. Notice it says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Oh, beloved, do you understand? There is such an important lesson for us here. Remember, these were some very, very angry Jewish people in this area. They were the ones who had tracked Paul down and had him stoned. They... Left him for dead in Acts 14, 19. And yet Paul, as we see, and Timothy, laid aside their comfort for those who, con- who considered them enemies. That's good, isn't it? Do you understand? That is what love does. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time allowing somebody to hurt me physically. Anybody? Especially an unrealistic expectation. There's such an important lesson here for us. Remember, these were impossible circumstances. So what we see here is unrealistic expectations can arise when we live in this world and minister among people. The way the obstacle is overcome is self-sacrifice. Love. Love for the sake of living at peace with all men. So think of the countless unrealistic expectations we face often on a weekly basis. Any of you face any unrealistic expectations from people? It could be an unrealistic expectation from a child, one of our own children. It could be an unrealistic expectation from a boss. It can be an unrealistic expectation from anyone in authority over us. Or how about this one? Even harder. It could be an unrealistic expectation for someone under our authority. How do we overcome this obstacle? Well, what our world says to do when somebody has an unrealistic expectation on us, what are we supposed to do? Here's what the world says. Mock them. That's what the world says. We, think, we say like this, this is what we're supposed to say. This is what our culture tells us to say to people that have unrealistic expectations on us. They say to say this, who do you think you are? That's what they tell us to say. You are out of your mind. We're supposed to say that to people that have unrealistic expectations on us. You must be crazy. That's what the world shows us all the time, isn't it? I'm not your servant. That's what we're told to say, aren't we? I'm equal to you. That's what we're told to say, isn't it? But friends, the gospel calls us to a totally different kind of life. Totally different type. 
lay aside our rights, sacrifice for others, turn the other cheek, love as Christ loved us. I got to admit, I don't do this all the time. Anybody in here do this all the time? This one goes so contrary to my old man. I fight this one all the time. This is other world kind of thinking, isn't it? The gospel calls us for sacrificing for others. I have to admit, I saw this from some of the families at Charleston this week. Willing to not hold the wickedness against the man who killed their relative. I believe this is how the church shows off the glory of God. And we need more of this. This is how we show him off. We say our rights, our pain, our persecution is an opportunity to love you anyway. Church, this is what we're called to do. This is how we're called to live. And the gospel makes it possible, doesn't it? We're going to see this kind of sacrificial love repeated over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. And this is how God builds his church. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Sacrificial love is how we make disciples. Which is obviously consistent with the Lord Jesus who we follow, right? After all, he who knew no sin died in our place so that we could be adopted children of God. We need this, don't we? Oh, God, help us. So the first obstacle was a broken relationship overcome by a resolve to the greater purpose of making disciples. The second obstacle was unrealistic expectation overcome by a sacrificial love that sacrificed for the sake of potential disciples. And finally, we see the postponed goals. Postponed goals. Look at 16.6. They passed through Phygerian Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing, appealing to him, and saying, Come, over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, at first glance, this might appear to just be a detailed explanation of the travel route of the trip. But this is a very, very long trip on foot. This missionary travel 
was over, this trip was over 500 miles over very difficult territory to get, and then to get on a boat and travel another 150 miles by boat. What we see here is a major obstacle for missionaries and for the missionary life. In some ways, this obstacle is the hardest obstacle of all. Everywhere the missionaries had previously gone, there were new disciples. They were increasing in number daily. This is like, woo, for a pastor or a missionary, this is what it's all about. Let's see fruit. That's what we're about, right? The first missionary trip was characterized by conversions in almost every city they went to. And the number of followers of Jesus was growing Fruit everywhere. The fields were white with heart for the harvest. And many were turning to Christ and trusting in Him. You can just imagine how Paul was thinking. Wow, we're going to reach the whole world for Christ. Everywhere we go, God is bringing people to Himself. This is great. Let's go to Asia. Maybe that's the next place. So Paul finishes up in South Galatia. Galatia. And he's thinking, okay, let's go to Asia. Let's go. He's here. Let's go there, Ephesus. Let's go to this area. Specifically Asia. Now the modern world, Asia is, in, in the modern world, Asia is in China and Japan. So don't, don't get that mixed up in your biblical geography. Uh, actually, nobody would consider Turkey Asia today probably. But it was in the biblical day. So Asia was to the left or to the west of Antioch Pisidian. But the biblical times, like I said, were the seven churches of Asia were there. Ephesus, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae. All those churches were, or that, those cities were the part of Asia. Now these churches were not established yet. So Paul wasn't going to an area or wanting to go to an area where there were established churches. He's thinking, let's go to Asia because after all, he probably was thinking, Ephesus is a great port city to go to the west further. Okay? But God says, nope, hang a right. Go north. Go north. So Paul has this idea. And notice it says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Don't go to Asia. You can't go to Asia. Go north. We're not told how the Spirit forbid Paul to speak in Asia. Was it divine revelation? Did Silas, a prophet, speak prophetically? We don't know. But one thing we do know. God said no to going to Asia. So you think, no big deal. Well, it's a huge deal. A big deal. Paul and the missionaries turn north and head for some very mountainous region. Very difficult travel. Two to three hundred miles later, they're at another crossroad. And they say, oh, maybe he wants us to go to Bithynia. This is great. There's lots of people there that need the Lord. This is a good place. And what happens? He wanted to go that way. God said, no. He wanted to go to Bithynia. And Pontus, that area. Lots of people there. And so what happens? 
They were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, God said no. 300 by walk. Nope. Not going there either. So what do they do? They walk another 300 miles, 200 miles to Troas. Now, folks, do you understand that just walking a couple 500 miles is not an easy trip? Put yourself there for a second, walking through mountains. It's not as the crow, it's as the crow flies 500 miles. They weren't going that way. They were going around mountains. It probably took them at least a month or two walking. At least a month or two. With nothing. No fruit. All it was was, don't go there. Go there. Nope. And it doesn't say they did not know where they were going. Because remember, they get the vision to go over to Macedonia. At that point, they didn't know. That's the, They conclude that they're supposed to go over to Macedonia. So you think things are tough? Yes, it's tough, folks. Stop sign after stop sign and then finally go. Get on a boat and go 150 miles away to an area... That was nothing like where they were. This must have been extremely difficult. You don't walk 500 miles in a couple of days. Now, why is that an obstacle? Here's why. Fruit, 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 nothing. Growth, more disciples, fellowship with disciples... Wow, people love Christ. More people, nothing. Three people, roughly, walking. Miles, nothing. In fact, stop, go there. Stop, go there. Now get on a boat, go there. Nothing. This kind of obstacle... It's painful. Church family, this is where we get discouraged. When we share and share and share, or we travel, or we walk in our life, and we see no results. Especially in our culture, in our society. Would you not agree? We are so results-oriented and so results-driven that if our children don't jump to conversion immediately by the age of six, we start questioning. What do we do? We seek the Lord and seek the Lord and no open doors. <laughs> this is when questions start to arise in our minds, right? Why, Lord? I mean, I've gone over this a thousand times. Why, Lord? Where are you, God? Where are you? Why have you put me on the shelf? Anybody ever thought that? Why did you give me all this fruit only to take me to nowhere land? Aren't I valuable? I mean, don't you think the Apostle Paul could have been tempted with this kind of thing? 
I mean, he's in an area where everybody's listening to him. Everything's going well. Now walk and get nothing. Walk. This kind of obstacle comes in many different forms. Delayed and postponed goals like this. A loved one that you pray for over and over and over and you see no change. A ministry that you proclaim the gospel over and over and over and yet no converts. Think of Adoniram Judson in Burma. Seven years, no converts. First seven years. Seven years. That's not two months. Seven years. A job that we seek to be a witness, but everywhere we turn, there's no one who seems to care or have a desire for the truth. A spouse who we graciously wait upon, and we graciously call him to get this. And they keep falling down and ignoring it. Stop signs everywhere. Can this be discouraging? Friends, this is, this is what Grace Bible Church of Tampa was like the first four years. We'd have visitors come into this place. They'd come for one or two weeks, and then we couldn't find them with radar. We'd have people move into the area and come to our church, and they'd say things like this. This is exactly what we were looking for. And throw themselves into serving, but then three or four months later, they'd bail on us because our music wasn't the style they, had, they wanted. Or we didn't have a youth group. Or we didn't have a certain program. I remember this was one of the most discouraging times in my Christian life. I will never forget crying on the phone to a fellow church planner in Colorado. He was a teacher in a local school and he was trying to plant a church and no one would come to his Bible study and he'd been there for two years. He couldn't find anybody. And I'm sitting there crying to him, man, I'm stuck at 30. There's 30 people here. This is so hard. It's just the way that blinds you, doesn't it? We had at least my family, the Samics, and a few more. I'll never forget how my friend, I hope he watches this one day, Greg Dennison quoted a MacArthur quote to me. And I had heard it before, but it had never clicked. He said to me, Mike, remember, you take care of the depth of your ministry and God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. In other words, Mike, you... You focus on being faithful to teach the word with all your heart in the, to the ones that are in your church and let God bring the growth. Mike, do everything you can to share the gospel with whoever God brings into your path and let him convert them and add them if he decides. Man, I'll tell you, that's the hardest point in my life. You know why? I'll be perfectly honest. Some of it was just ingrained in me from the sales mentality. Man, how results. I just wanted people. I mean, and, and there's mixed motives in there because you're like, man, I, you know, I really want people to come because I want them to hear the gospel. I want them to get saved. I want to worship with more people. 
But the, the bad side of that is, is that I'm a failure for not succeeding if there aren't more people in here. And that's wrong. It's a wrong thought process. And then I find out as I go through my life that this is everywhere I go. In almost all my life circumstances, things like this apply with my children, with my family members. It almost always applies. And it comes down to doing what? Trusting God. Trusting God. The answer to this obstacle of postponed goals is keep being faithful to pursue God and share the gospel with whomever God brings in your path. This is what the disciples did. They just kept kept walking until God opened a door. They just kept walking. They just kept pursuing him and trusting him with the results left up to him. This takes commitment to the Lord, doesn't it, folks? This takes a heart that is not dedicated to your circumstances. This takes a heart that is not obsessed with results. Because after all, even results can become an idol. Listen, I hear it even when we go. It's such a temptation. We go to Shepherd's Conference. How many people are in your church? How many do you have? What's the number of your church? I think all too often we are driven by the idol of results. Right? That's an obstacle. The only way it's killed is by trusting the Lord, by pursuing Him even when you don't feel like it. Walk 500 miles with no open doors. Two months of walking and unfulfilled goals, stop signs at two potential melting pots of people, and disciples just kept walking. Faithfulness, patience, endurance, Resolve. God admit, I wonder if this is why God did not ordain Mark to go with them on the trip. That did cross my mind. Think about it. I wonder if this would have been too much for Mark at that time. Was it because Mark still wasn't completely ready for this kind of journey? We don't know. Anyway, Paul, Silas, Timothy arrived in Troas and hope is given. Next week, we'll see where God takes them. But leave it at this. I'm sure glad Paul and the missionaries did not give up. Beloved, do you understand that if at any point these guys would have said, I'm not going on, do you understand where this is? Do you know where Philippi is? Europe. Greece. Do you understand, folks? That when they go here, this starts the gospel in Europe. This is part of the reason why the gospel flourished in Europe. Why are we here today? Because Europe brought the gospel through the colonies. Sure am glad they kept going. What about you? Glad they kept walking. So today as we meditate on the various obstacles that we face, it is my prayer we respond as these missionaries did.
When there are separations in relationships, we must press on in serving others. When there are unrealistic expectations, we must sacrificially lay down our lives for others. And when there are postponed goals, we must keep our eyes on the prize and press on looking for the open doors of the gospel. Where are you at with that, folks? Let's go. Let's go serve our king. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that you sent your son to die for wretched sinners like us. (sighs) Father, you are good and kind and gracious to us. Lord, we pray that today that you will give us that resolve in our heart to proclaim the gospel, to live the gospel, and to endure for the gospel. We praise your name. We thank you for Christ. And God, we do pray that if there's anyone that has not tasted the kindness of the Lord yet, that they do not know the joy of salvation in Christ, that today they will be broken by their sin and recognize that Christ came to die for them. Please, God, grant repentance. We trust you. We look to you. We long for you with all of our hearts. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.